If you want to learn something new, would you rather learn it on your own from a random teacher or from folks who are the best of the best in that skill? I think I know which option most of you would choose. That's made possible by Masterclass. In recent months, they've added classes from the likes of Ava DuVernay, who gives us tips on how to reframe our thinking in all walks of life. One of our personal favorites recently was the one-on-one time we got with Amy Poehler in her class on preparing to be unprepared. So good. With Ava DuVernay. With over 180 world-class instructors and a 30-day money-back guarantee for new members, there's no reason not to get started today. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash hard things. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash hard things. Masterclass.com slash hard things. Birds are singing. The sun is out. Spring has sprung. Has your wardrobe followed suit? If not, you can get a refresh with Bombas my favorite brand for socks, tees, and underwear that also has an amazing mission that we support wholeheartedly. Because for every incredible comfy item that I get from Bombas, they match with a donation to someone who is unhoused. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash hard things and use code hard things for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash hard things and use code hard things at checkout. Welcome back to We Can Do Hard Things. If you have not listened to part one of this series about the... Mary Abigail Wambach. Please go back and listen to the first episode. We are interviewing my love, Amanda's sister-in-law, Abby Wambach. The theme that we keep coming back to in Abby's life is love. From birth till now, relentless pursuit of love and all the different forms that's come in her life so far. We've talked about her mom, her love story with her mama, Judy, her love story with soccer, the soccer, the love story of her first marriage. And now we're going to get into one of my favorite topics, which is addiction and what it is. And I think it can be a different thing for everybody. What I've always thought of when I think about you and your drinking is that you seem to, like a lot of people, use drinking as a way of not knowing something that in your bones you know. Mm. For example, in the last episode, you talked a lot about knowing that something was missing in soccer Mm -hmm. because you got to the highest of the heights and it didn't, as you say, ease your angst. Mm -hmm. You also had a knowing, and this is all at the same time in your life, that your marriage was not working. Mm-hmm. but you could not let yourself know that mm-hmm. because you are not a quitter. That's because true. Because you felt like you were carrying the entire queer, like future of marriage on your back and you couldn't let this marriage fail because then everyone would be right and it would be proof that gay marriage doesn't work because you loved your ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And so you couldn't let yourself know 
that this was never going to work. And so you did what? I drank. You drank. Tell us about drinking and what it was in your life from the beginning. (sighs) So I started drinking when I was young, being the youngest of, of seven kids being 12, 13, 14 years old and brothers and sisters off in college and they're doing the drinking thing. And then they come home for breaks or summer and they're doing the drinking thing. They're actively doing it. I learned that that was what people did for fun to like mm-hmm. blow off steam, you and know, belonging. Cause that's what your big sisters and brothers were doing. Yeah. And I actually noticed interestingly enough, when I was young, I noticed that they became more vulnerable people Uh, while drinking. Oh, that's so true. They would tell me their feelings. We would connect. It looked like fun, you know? And so I got like the memo, oh, this is what we do. And this also supports the idea of splitting myself from soccer player into normal person. Like, oh, I'm going to prove that I can be a normal person Mm. as Mm much as I'm going to prove that I can be the best soccer player. And so I took drinking on as like the thing I did whenever I wasn't playing soccer. I did it through college and then my young adult life. And if I were to be really honest with myself and looking back at all the heartache that I had in my life, it was the very thing that I went to, to suppress. At least that's what I thought at the time to fix my heartbreak for whatever situation I was in. And it was a, it was a real love hate relationship that drinking was. Mm -hmm. She was my best friend at times. Mm -hmm. And also Mm -hmm. the, the, the biggest fucking bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Friend of me. Yeah. And I loved her. Mm -hmm. I really did. I really felt like, this is a part of my identity that I'm going to hold on to for dear life. Mm-hmm. What did it look like, babe? You're out drinking and then you're private in drinking. It depended on where I was emotionally. If I was in a good place, then it was just like free fun loving, you know, like everybody's out. We're doing, we're doing really fun things. Um, and if I had any kind of heartache or something that I was trying not to know, it would be like me by myself pouring the biggest glass of whiskey you've ever seen as like a quote unquote nightcap. Yep. Wife goes to bed and I'm just sitting alone on the couch with like a six finger whiskey, a ridiculous amount of alcohol. I was trying to black out. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the off switch. So until my body fell asleep, that's when I stopped consuming alcohol during certain seasons of my life. I always was struggling with, do I think that, do I think I'm drinking too much? And, (laughs) you know, I would do it for short periods of time because soccer for so much protected me from that part of myself. It was like this like safety mechanism that was in place. You couldn't go too far because then, yeah. yeah. When I was on the road, I'd be on the road for three weeks. I didn't have a single drink. Totally Mm -hmm. fine. That's why they say it's not how often you drink, it's how you drink. Even if you only drink once a year, but you lose all of your mind and your life and your relationships. Yeah. I was one of those people too, that like was trying to get everybody to drink around me more. Mm -hmm. I had some friends that they could, they could drink one 
glass of wine at dinner. And I'm like, the fuck? No. What? No, I don't. I'm like, the bottle is open. You can't just, you can't put that cork back in the bottle. Like the bottle needs to be finished. What are we doing? Once you pop, you can't stop. It's like Pringles out there. (laughs) Aren't you just so jealous of those people who can just Uh. drink? So babe, what was your FIFA player of the year moment with drinking? Like when did you finally realize no matter how many rungs down I go on this drinking ladder, it's never going to love me back. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, I think when she got my mug shot on the ESPN ticker, mm, that'll do it. That'll do it. She did me. She did me dirty. <laughs> she did you real dirty with that. Tell us Damn the story, it. please. Tell us the story. Ooh. Yes. It was a few days after I moved out of my house because of the divorce, I was getting separated from my first wife and I went golfing and drank too much, um, lied to my friends, told them I was getting an Uber and I drove, Baby, I got behind the wheel of a car and, uh, ran a red light going back to my apartment. And I was so deep in my own, I don't know, sadness and pity that I actually thought that I was sober. Like I I actually believed in my, I was like, Oh, I, I haven't, I will not blow. So I was like, yeah, well let's do this. And then I blew into the breathalyzer thing. And I, I was now convinced that the machine was broken. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is not right. You need, I need another machine. And of course I was just completely, um, fucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I remember, you know, they, I had, I had Birkenstocks on that night mm-hmm. because I'm a gay person living in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> they issue you those, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in the jail cell and the other women that were in there, they had all of their shoelaces taken out of their shoes. And so they just kept walking around, they just sliding their feet. And I kept thinking, these people are crazy. This is not where I belong. You know, mm-hmm. I remember b- crying so much before they actually took that mug shot. I literally couldn't stop crying mm-hmm. to take the mug shot. And it was a horrific photo. It looked like I was, I don't know, it was the worst night of my life. I think my life is over. As I start sobering up sitting there, um, I realize, oh my gosh, you do belong here. You are fucked up. You are exactly them. You just got lucky that you were wearing fucking Birkenstocks. What was in the car? So I had been moving all of my stuff. And that morning I had went and got all of my gold medals, my jewelry. I got a, for my hundredth cap playing on the national team the most valuable pieces to my existence as a person were in my car. The car now is going to get parked on the side of the street because I can't drive my car. And I like begged the police officers. I was like, my whole life is in this one bag. I like need to bring this one bag, please. And so I begged them and they had to check it in at the police department when we got there, the police station. What were the days after that? Like, what were they like in your home? So, surprisingly my ex picked up the phone cause I made my one phone call mm-hmm. and, um, 
she picked up the phone and she came and bailed me out of jail next morning. And I went back to the house that she and I lived in and there were news cameras outside. Um, I thought my life was over. Like I thought everything that I had spent my life building and doing playing soccer, traveling the world, fighting for women's equality. I now was going to be put in the category of canceled. And so I hold up in my house and I remember just like crying and watching the ESPN ticker and just seeing my mugshot over and over and over again. Um, you were watching it? Like you turned oh yeah. it on to watch it? Uh, oh yeah. Wow. That's very... Yeah. And my masochistic my, of I, you. Yeah. I had to create a statement, like a public statement to put out mm -hmm. to the press. And, um, the one that I first created was much more mean to myself than the mm -hmm. one put out into the world. I was really fucking doing a number. I was beating myself up like nothing. Like I had never been beaten up. I don't know what was happening, but something was happening. Mm -hmm. And then, um, my agent sat down, my lawyer sat down at the table the next day and explained the process. And in Oregon, where I was arrested, um, I could enter in what's called a diversion program. And this diversion program would require me to be alcohol and drug free for one year. I'd have to take drug tests. I'd have to do a victim impact panel. I'd have to do therapy that was um, court ordered and moderated. And when the lawyer told me that I could not legally drink for a year, I like, I let out a kind of, um, God, I'm getting emotional thinking about it, but it was kind of like the sob that like you scream when like you're a baby just born, like, mm -hmm. like you finally got the, your first breath mm -hmm. and you know somebody like took the keys away from me literally and somebody like took m took my choice away mm -hmm. and I, that's all I needed like I needed that so much I needed somebody to be like can't do it anymore or else you'll be in jail like I needed mm -hmm. and I needed every second of the shame that that ESPN ticker gave me I needed all of the wake up call this opportunity gave me and it needed to be as big as it was for me to wake up to, for me to actually like see what was happening, um, in my life. And I remember in the moment being like, okay, I'm going to make this the best thing that ever happened to me. Like this is, this is horrible right now and sad. And I actually had a 10 stop speaking tour that was happening in one week mm. to college oh. campuses across the country. Oh, Lord. That is a kick in the shorts. I had to go out into the world in a week. I remember actually being in my first airport um, a week later and some person was standing close to me and they had Googled me because they thought it was me. I was wearing like a hat. And I could see my mugshot. Oh. On their phone. I was that like, was the first thing that comes up. Yeah. Right? I was like, oh, 
So this is it, that this is how it's going to be. Right. Yeah. Um, and I really wanted to process and proceed with all of that happened with honesty and truth and integrity. And I wanted to be as upfront and honest about it as possible. And so I don't know how this story necessarily ends, but, um, you know, I've been sober ever since Mm -hmm. that day, that night in jail. Mm. That's incredible. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this. There is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddlers in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth, and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets It's match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Babe, I want to talk about one more hard thing. One more hard thing? And then we will stop the hard things. Okay. But we cannot do a conversation with you about Love and unrequited love without talking about the major romantic relationship in your life that was an unrequited love. Mm. And how would you define unrequited? It's when you just desperately love something and it never loves you back. Mm. And I actually don't think that it's love. So there would be more, it would be a more complicated answer than that. But like our cultural definition of unrequited love is when you love something fully and it never loves you back. Like drinking is unrequited love. Mm -hmm. Soccer was unrequited love, but it was a lot of amazing things. Yeah. It's one way love. It's one, but, but which isn't love. It's a relationship that you're having with someone who is not having that relationship back with you. (laughs) Yes. That is sort of this relationship and you correct me if I'm wrong, that this was the, a great unresolved agonizing romance in your life. The one we're about to talk about, how would you describe this relationship? How did it start? Take us back. Uh. Real softball there. Yeah. But doesn't everybody have one love where someone, someone asks oh them and they God. just go, oh. Absolutely. I, mine parallels yours a little bit, Abby. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to go down with this ship too. That <laughs> makes feel better. Well, I think that I've had a lot of time to think about this over the last almost 20 years. Um, oh, but we, we met about 20 years ago. And it was early on in my national team career. This person was 
she was just completely unique to the kind of person I'd ever met before. Adventurous, active, um, seemingly like super connected. She was just fucking cool. Mm-hmm. And I aspired to be the kind of person that somebody like her would love. I felt like, oh, this person's going to make me better. Mm-hmm. You ever met somebody like that where you're like, oh, yeah, like yes. me? Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. So um, we met and we fell in love and I should have seen the red flags early on. <laughs> But I didn't because I was so into the fantasy of and the idea of this love. And was she straightish? She was straightish. She was straightish. Yeah, okay. she was straightish. Would that be one of the red flags you <laughs> thought you should have noticed? <laughs> well, not, not always. The, not at the time. Not at the time. She was straight with the side of Abby, I would say. Okay. Okay. Um, and she was painfully uh, honest. She had this way of being so brutally honest that it made me trust her. Have mm-hmm. you ever met somebody like that? Yeah. Well, that's a thing with you. You think if people are mean, that that means they're honest and that that's love. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We we were living such different lives. And I guess one of the big red flags early on should have been that she was never able to like actually define the relationship with me. Mm-hmm. I was always trying to n- nail that down in some way. And it was like this elusive mm-hmm. love is not definable and <laughs> all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But when we were together, it was amazing. And I'd see her for like a week here or a week there for months and then not months. We would not see each other. And this is not back in the day where texting and stuff was a constant occurrence. You'd have mm-hmm. to like actually call the person. You have to pay for like Skype minutes. Like it was, it was harder to stay <laughs> oh in gosh. touch back then. I know. Yeah. Um, And this was something that went on for a little while, like a year or two. Um, and I think ended specifically ended because she got engaged. I went, gosh, when was this? I decided after we won the gold medal in 04 that I was going to go on a solo trip. And so I drove my Jeep across the country. I was going to go to Moab and Zion and Bryce Canyon and the Grand Canyon. And, um, on my drive from Florida, I was, I just like took a U-turn and went to her house. (laughs) And, um, I'll start my solo trip by going to visit someone. And if every time you try to take your metaphorical solo trip, and your car veers to a certain person or substance or whatever, that might be a sign yeah. that this is the distraction you're using from yourself. Yeah. I drove through the night. It took me 32 hours to get there. <laughs> a um, short detour of 32 hours. It was so ridiculous. And so I get there and she's surprised to see me, opens the door <laughs> and won't let me into her apartment, which I thought was like kind of weird. And so we went and sat on the hood of my Jeep. Um, and then she proceeds to tell me that she slept with somebody that day. And that's why I couldn't come in to the house. Um, the person was there. I don't know if they were there. Honey, or not. they were there. <laughs> she wouldn't let you in the house for God's sake. I actually don't really have vivid memories of that 
the whole experience, Mm -hmm. but I remember feeling pretty heartbroken. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and went on my little solo trip by myself and I was just so sad. I was so sad and so confused a couple months later, maybe a year later, I don't know exactly the timeline, but I'm at practice national team practice. And one of my friends says to me, did you hear so-and-so is engaged? And -and so-and-so is this person Mm -hmm. that I've loved. And I like, you've never, you have probably never seen the blood drain from a human being's face. Like it did that day. I just, I shut down. I was like, what, how did this happen without me knowing we were still in kind of contact, but not like as consistent before because the sleeping with somebody else was a little bit really hard for me to accept. Well, she goes on, she gets married, she has kids, the whole thing. And during this time I get into relationships and get out of relationships. And every single time I would get out of a relationship, I would call her. Mm-hmm. And there was always still this energy, mm-hmm. this, I miss you. I love you thing from her too. Yeah. This vibe that was like mm-hmm. always she was there. Keeping you hang in there. She, she liked you exactly where you were. And for whatever reason, mm-hmm. the fantasy of this love was keeping me there too. You know, like this wasn't just a, a horrible one side of like she's a horrible person and I'm like the good person here. Like I was also a part of this toxic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, granted she was married with children and probably should have had the integrity to say, I'm going to, st- I, I can't do this anymore because I have this whole other life. Mm-hmm. Right? And she knew that's what you wanted more than anything in the world. So she also knew that keeping you hanging there with her would allow her to have the thing yeah, and have you yeah. and would yeah. keep you from ever having the thing. Yeah. And you would only have this 10% version of her. Yeah. Do you think that there's any part of this that has to do with growing up queer in the time you grew up in, in terms of this tragic, like, yeah, like broke back mountain, this idea <laughs> that queer kids are, are taught that like the, since they can't have out in, in the open love that the only kind of love that they can have is like dark and brooding and incomplete. And that what we tell ourselves about that is that that's better anyway, mm-hmm. that that's the only real love is the, the mystery dark underneath mysterious love. And so you stay yeah. there because you don't think you can ever have the other thing. And you just tell yourself that that's what's real. Yes. And also P.S. Sister Brokeback Mountain was and is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. to this day because it reminded me so much of this unrequited yep. love. It, it made me right. it like. Every I feel like every gay person, at least my age, understands that movie on a totally different level. And in your head, you're like the love that 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 person has, like broke back love is they just feel like they have to do this family thing. But their real love is with me. Yeah. But you actually don't know if that's true. That could be true. And in some of the stories, that is true. And in some of the stories, those people have their real love 
in that family or that other relationship they're living out. And they're just super interested in this drama and having the best of all possible worlds by mm-hmm. having this undefinable, can't get me in trouble because I'm not technically doing anything wrong, love, mm-hmm. on the side. Yeah. And that's like, a very like, that's not real. to be in. Because that's not right. real. What I have here, that's not real. But you were very real. Yeah. I have a question too. Did mm-hmm. you call when you and... Uh, your ex broke up was my ex-wife. Yes. Your ex-wife was so-and-so the first person you called. Yep. Yeah. And I, I I hadn't gotten arrested yet. I hadn't gotten sober yet. So Mm. I was, I I made the phone call after a long drinking night out. Mm -hmm. And, um, I actually, I think in my memory, because I was pretty intoxicated. Um, I asked her to leave her husband and mm-hmm. to be with me. Yep. Thinking, oh, this has to be the thing. This is yep. the thing that's going to fix me. This is what my problem has been all along. God, we we so badly want to make sense of ourselves, right? This I is did it. the exact same thing. I did the and, exact same thing. Um, yep. Yeah, she said no. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> like she had been saying for 15 years or how well, for 13 she was years. saying no, but yeah, but I love you. And I miss so, you. And- I don't know how to, I guess the way that it kind of ends is when I get sober with some like real helpful therapy, I was able to call her and tell her all of the way the years of being the hang being, what is it called? Like being the strung along, strung along the side piece. We call that. Well, I mean, there was nothing, there was nothing physical that ever happened. Uh, after she got married, we never, there was no physical. It was just this emotional mm-hmm. thing that, that I think that I realized maybe I was experiencing on my own. Mm-mm. And, and nope. for the first time as a sober person, I got the courage to call her and say, this is bullshit. And the fact that you have strung me along for this long has prevented me from living a full life and probably in many ways prevented me from having a real relationship. Yeah. Um, I told her it was unfair and she agreed. She agreed with everything that I said and um, was kind. And I told her that I never, ever wanted to talk to her again and not out of like Mm -hmm. meanness or Mm self-protection, but like, I don't want people like that in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't want people like that, that say one thing and do another. I don't want somebody that says that they love me, but won't ever do anything to prove it. Because that was a whole relationship that was prove, provably making me believe that I was unlovable over yes. and over and over and over again. You weren't worth choosing. Yeah. And I know that that gayness and sexuality played a little bit of a role in this whole thing. But I'm good enough to be chosen. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had to actually say those words. I had to actually be intentional and say the things that I really meant, and I really did love her. 
Mm-hmm. And in some ways, this fantasy of the love kept me company for a lot of years. Yeah. It was a source of all a lot of heartbreak. It was also the source of a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. Because having those in love feelings is wonderful at times. Um, but I needed to stop it. Mm-hmm. I needed to quit and, you know, and good old broke back mountain fashion. It was hard to quit her, but I finally mm-hmm. did. Ugh. Did she put up any resistance? Like, did she try to rationalize with you? Like, oh, but we can still keep in touch. No, no, she got, okay. She understood. She knew what was needed. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations and multiple systems, the more margin you have and the more of your hard-earned money you get to keep. But with higher expenses than ever on things like materials and distribution, everything just costs more. That's why smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. You'll reduce IT costs, you'll cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you'll improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, and expenses don't slow down, so why should you? By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hard things. Netsuite.com slash hard things. That's netsuite.com slash hard things. So where we are in your story right now, just this one lens we're looking at it through. You have now lost soccer, ended soccer. Yeah, because I retired. Soccer ended and drinking really ramped up. So soccer is over. Your marriage is over. Mm -hmm. um, And the drinking is over. Yeah. This is where we are right now. Yeah. Many of your unrequited loves (laughs) are over. (laughs) Can you talk to us about the night at the Palmer house? It's a, a seemingly normal event. I have to go do... I'm just about to publish forward the memoir that I wrote soon after I retired and I'm traveling with um, a manager kind of person Mm -hmm. and they hand me the book uh, of information of the other authors who are going to be there who are also trying to, to promote their books for their upcoming releases. And so I scan through the authors and I'm like, and then I see love warrior on there and I read the little bio that, Glennon had, and it had something in there like about being sober. I was newly sober. And I remember being like, oh, that's a sober person. (laughs) I've heard of those people, but I've never met one. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to talk to that person (laughs) because the truth is I really swear to you, like I had never really met a sober person. She didn't know a single sober person. I had created a whole life around me that it was just people who partied to support my addiction, my habit. Mm -hmm. So we walk in and 
we're like running a little late, which is like my biggest pet peeve. And Mm -hmm. I had said, I don't want to have dinner. And I, I guess all the authors who we were all going to be up on the stage giving little talks about our books, um, to the librarians of the world. We love you librarians. So I walk into this back room backstage and all the authors are all in there eating and I'm late. I didn't know that this was like a private backstage event before the event starts. It's a table with George Saunders, Terry McMillan, Maria Semple. I didn't know any of those people. <laughs> all She's I, like, cared I still about, don't know any of those people. Yeah. All I cared about was meeting the sober person there. And so when I walk in and somebody stands up in the room. That was me. I recognize that it's the person that I actually am there to hopefully talk to at some point. So I walk around, we hug, and then I sit down in my chair. And the way that we were seated, she was away from me and kind of at a weird angle. So she was in like the peripheral of my vision, not in my clear path. And so I kept talking to this one author and he seemed kind enough, but I kept looking over to her like, more interested in wanting to know what they're talking about over there with her seatmate than I was interested in talking to my seatmate. So then the dinner ends and all the authors like want to take a picture together. We walk outside and Glennon's like nowhere to be found. I'm like, where is she? You know, this is so she's the reason why I want to take a picture. But now that you know me so long, you would know where I was now, right? You were in the bathroom. I go to the bathroom bathroom. as many times as possible and just hide there for as many minutes (laughs) as it won't seem weird. Yeah. You were in the bathroom and then you came back and we all took a picture. So when we are walking to the stage, I finally get the seconds that I'm like hoping to talk to you about because I had yet to figure out what I was going to include in the memoir forward. Mm. And so I really wanted your advice about, I just got the DUI. I knew I could talk to you about it because you're sober. And you just said some things like you touched my arm. It was just like electricity. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, like a shock. Something happened to my system. And I kind of didn't pay any real attention to it. And then when we sat on the the dais, we were seated next to each other. And I was so glad to be seated Mm -hmm. next, next to you. I don't know if you remember what we were talking about on that walk, which is that whoever wanted you to write that book, like the shiny version of you. Yeah. Just when you talk about your two halves. Yes. Everybody wanted you to write it just as your shiny soccer player soccer self. self. Yes. They did not want you to include any of what you call your shadow side, which mm-hmm. was really just all the real stuff Yeah, in the book because they thought that would tarnish your Captain America yeah. reputation. Yeah. You said to me, it was like you thought it was like you were revealing the deepest, darkest secret. But the first thing you said to me was, you probably know what's going on because yeah. you had just gotten the DUI. And I was like, about what? And you were like, <laughs> well, it's all over ESPN. And I was like, that doesn't help me. <laughs> and and you said, I, I just got a DUI. And you said you wanted you were thinking about including all of your struggles inside your memoir. Mm-hmm but you were afraid that people wouldn't like you anymore or something. Yeah. I mean, I think I was afraid of tarnishing the soccer Abby legacy, the soccer Mm -hmm. star legacy. And you, when you touched me, you said, sweetheart, oh, sweetheart, we in the real world, like real people. And it was just like this really simple thing that 
I think like my intuition and my sober, my newly sober self was like feeling. And when you said that, I was like, yes. It was an invitation to integration. It was an invitation to say to you, you don't have to be these two things anymore. That's right. We want both of you. In fact, what the hell is a memoir if not all this stuff? It was an invitation from the soccer world into the real world where you'd get to be your whole self. That's right. That's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. Me neither until now. You gave me an opportunity to integrate my two selves in that second. And then you went up and talked about your book that you were publishing. And I was so excited. First of all, you like made me laugh and cry and all the things. And there was just like this unmistakable, unquestionable energy that was happening between us. Mm-hmm. But it felt like for the first time, somebody was seeing the, the whole of me mm-hmm. and not wanting to discard what I would have called then the shadow side, like the bad Abby, good mm. Abby, bad Abby. You were like, no, like, that's the good stuff. You've got this all backwards. And, um, and so, yeah, I went back to my room that night and I read Love Warrior until one or two in the morning. I was a little s- disappointed with the way that it ended. So was I, babe. So was I. <laughs> that puts us completely full circle back at the beginning of the conversation we had in the last episode because when we were talking about how Dr. Franco says that if you're holding something back, you can't accept love because you don't trust it. And I wonder if the Palmer house was, it it was the opposite of that moment because there wasn't anything you could do to hold back at that point or keep hidden. Like right. it was all over ESPN. It was all over the ticker. And since it was all out there, if someone were to love you in that space, then that would mean that you could trust it. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. before, when you only had shiny Abby at the front and shadow Abby, you would never be able to really accept and trust love because you'd be thinking, yeah, but you don't know about shadow Abby. That's yeah. right. I think that's why I have so much feeling for your first wife. Mm-hmm. You're amazing at talking about what a great love we have and me and why you love me so much. And we do have an incredible love story, an incredible love. But what was different then was not just that me, was not just that I was a new person. It was that for the first time you were fully and completely present. Like you were fully available. Mm -hmm. The drinking was gone. The soccer was, it was just like all of you there. All of the unrequited love was also because you weren't there fully to love. Yep. And I know there was a moment where your ex-wife asked if, you were having a conversation with her and you explained that you were in love and all the things. And she said, have you stayed sober? Yeah. And you said yes. And she burst out crying. And I just have such feeling. I know it was messy. I know there's a lot there, but I do have this like big love for her because I feel like 
she knew in that moment that you were going to be available in the next phase of your life in a way that you weren't available in the, the last one. And I feel like everybody has that in their life. The things that went wrong and then you know the person's going to be better for the next thing, but like you're the one who did all yes. <laughs> struggling. Yeah. And I don't have any tender feelings for the one that left you hanging on all the time. I'm just going to say that, but I feel like you are who you have always wanted to be. The way that you love. It's like watching someone who is like the greatest painter in the world. And since they're painting you, everyone's looking at the painting thinking, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. Look at her. But the person sitting for the painting only looks that good because the painter mm -hmm. is so freaking amazing at painting. That's mm -hmm. how you love me. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. feel so grateful that I get to be the one who is loved by you. Because you were right all the time. Your whole life, you were right. You were meant to love big and love huge and love with all of your being. And what you needed was somebody who would be fully present in there and be in it with you yeah, and be a hundred percent with you. And I get to be that. Yes. And I think for a lot of my life, I just thought that there was going to be some other thing that's like other love that was going to fix me mm. and make me feel lovable. And I think that what I've learned from our relationship and the work we've done is the only source of working through that heartache or that like emo angst. I don't know what it is that like this seeking for more. I had to figure out how to love myself. And we had a very amazing, intense love story, but we've also created a lot of space, a lot of safe space for each other to be able to learn how to love ourselves mm -hmm. really deeply. Cause in the end, I think that that is what I've been searching for. Mm -hmm. Um, you've been like this beautiful space giver and the safety net that almost like I needed somebody strong enough and safe enough. And that would love me so hard and so well that I could fake myself into believing that it was possible for me to do it mm. myself. You gave me this like runway of lovability. <laughs> I keep looking at you and I'm like, Okay, maybe it is possible. Maybe I am actually lovable. She's pretty smart. You think she could be onto something? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of subscription-based stuff nowadays, which is great. You might get one as a gift. You might really want to try something during a trial period. You might even make the occasional impulse buy. But what happens when you forget you signed up for this platform? Or need to cancel after the trial period on the platform. For me, I can never even find where I signed up to begin with. It gets overwhelming, but Rocket Money is here to help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. 
Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash hard things. That's rocketmoney.com slash hard things. Rocketmoney.com slash hard things. Abby, you mentioned in the first episode how you were at FIFA and that's the moment that you got the best player of the world award and the love didn't sink into you and you realized, well, if, if I can't feel the love after this, then soccer is never going to be able to fill that void. Have you ever had a moment where you have received love in the moment and you could feel it immediately, like click that sinks in. I get that. This takes. Yeah. Well, it happened a couple of months ago. An unsuspecting Christmas morning. The kids are going around. They're unwrapping their gifts. And all of a sudden, Glennon's like, Abby, it's your turn. And I was like, adults go later in the morning. You know what's happening? Mm -hmm. So I'm opening up this present. And it's this letter from a lawyer that is essentially Glennon has started the process with consent from Craig that the kids want me to adopt them as their parent legally. Um, And there's like a lot of mixed feelings in that because, you know, we've talked before that like there's a grief that I will live out with the rest of my life for not biologically carrying a child of my own. But that gets completely overshadowed with like the love and the, the joy of parenting these three children that Glennon and Craig brought into the world. And um, I guess it's hard to explain for like a step parent who might not have like a biological connection to their step kids or bonus kids, like we call it. But I don't know. It was like one of those moments. <laughs> it was like, <clears throat> One of those moments in life that, no offense, honey, but it's one thing to have um, your your romantic partner show you, tell you, marry you, and Choose you. make you believe that you are lovable. Um, and, and it's like a whole another level of proof that I am a lovable person when these three children. 14, 16, and 19 at the time, um, and their father and Craig, you know, I'm like, it's, it's essentially like the most crying I've ever, like the hardest crying, like the whale cry, like there's a similar cry uh, when I first got sober, like, I don't know how to describe it well enough. It's just. If it makes sense, there's like brief moments in a person's life where all of your heartache makes sense. Mm. Like every single heartbreak and issue that I had 
was because I didn't know that I would be chosen. Um, I first had to figure out how to love myself well enough and I had to find a love, but like the kids don't have to do that. Our life would have been, would have gone forward with no problems. Like they want that. They like, they want, they want me in a person way, in a parent way. Um, and so that happened. And so we're in the process right now of getting me added and not taking away any parental rights of Craig or Glennon, but getting a third parent added to our kids' birth certificates. And it was just, uh, obviously it means a lot to me. It just, I don't know how, I just don't know how I'll ever thank you all. <laughs> and I know that that's not how love works. It's just, I, I told Glennon, she better not leave me because now I'm, I'll take the kids. <laughs> <laughs> the kid said, the kid said, three Christmases? <laughs> I don't think it's for you to thank them. I think that was their way of thanking you. Mm-hmm. I just, so much of my life has, has felt like there was a, a, a thread of sorrow or shadow or darkness. And, um, that's not true. Like it was all necessary and part of my process and I needed every bit of it to feel that moment mm. of like love. Wow. All right, Pod Squad, here's what we've decided to do. We can't just break that news of the uh, Christmas adoption moment without explaining it more. So tomorrow we're going to give you a bonus episode where we talk about how the adoption has come together in that moment in our family when we told Abby and what happened and um, all the implications of it for our family and for other families because it's turned into kind of a, a big deal and we want to share it with you. So come back tomorrow for a short episode where we give you the deets on the adoption. We'll see you then. If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to us if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do each or all of these three things. First, can you please follow or subscribe to We Can Do Hard Things? Following the pod helps you because you'll never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. To do this, just go to the We Can Do Hard Things show page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and then just tap the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner or click on follow. This is the most important thing for the pod. While you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and review and share an episode you loved with a friend, we would be so grateful. 
We appreciate you very much. We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. 